The bald fat man is Jeff. In the wild, Jeff preys upon fast food and mounting dew. Each new morning, he surprises himself that he survived another day. The dark-hair-bearded fellow is Garrett. His spreadsheets are a way of survival, and his opinions are fine. Just fine. Together, the Jeff and the Garrett form the Give em Hell Brigham podcast. Despite their lack of tangible skills or noticeable intelligence, they not only survive together, they thrive together. So strap in, folks. Things are about to get weird. A new episode of GEHB starts right now. Jeffrey, which is more important to you today that you want to talk about? Mm. A football game on Saturday or the bomb that Pete Thamel dropped this afternoon on the Twitter dump? Or at large, Twitter at large, and the Elon Musk takeover. What are we going to start with? Well, let's start with Elon, because I think that is the most important. And here's my take. Because uh, you're going to pay eight bucks a month to keep your check mark. I've been paying. I've been paying. Applied at the same time, and they rejected me. Yeah, I've been paying five bucks a month for a while. Because I actually enjoy the t- Twitter blue, whatever it is. Oh, what do you even get with that? Uh, you get the ability to edit tweets. So okay. That's a big one. And then they give you the reader mode, which seems really stupid. Like, why would I really care? But whenever there's a thread, you can read it in reader mode. And it, like, puts it into, like, a almost looks like a blog page. Mm-hmm. And it feels like kind of an unnecessary enhancement. Like, okay, just scroll. What's the big deal? But once I started doing it, I couldn't go back. So okay. I've been paying four ninety nine a month for a Top while. articles, custom navigation. I don't know what that means. Yeah, that's kind of lame. I can Bookmark also change folders. the color of my app. Like, I, like my app logo can be something cool, but like, I don't know, you know, who cares? But other than that, yeah, no. So Elon, Elon takes over. I don't understand the big deal. Like, I don't either. If I was an employee, like, sure, yeah, he's going to change the culture. That's different. But for me, the regular Twitter user, I don't know what he could possibly do that really changes my day-to-day life. Nothing. And that's the whole thing is, like, it's nothing, but everyone wants you to think it's something, right? All of the people who don't like him are threatening to, like, they're doing the equivalent of if this person wins, I'm going to move to Canada on social media. And everyone on the other side is like, oh my gosh, this is a revolution with yeah. a heart on for Elon. It's and, very, very strange. And it's like the one thing, I mean, he did say, so obviously, I mean, the only thing that's really changed so far and his, the whole point, right. Is we said, like, there's too many bots, which is like a pretty verifiable thing. Because if you look at Twitter, like their user count has been pretty stagnant. And then, they have a ton of spam accounts. And yeah. and so the whole point of him releasing or basically charging people to be verified eight bucks a month or whatever was like, you prioritize. So if you go click on a reply, it would basically be like anyone who replies to it that's verified, like paid the eight bucks a month, 
goes at the top along with like anybody that maybe like that they actually followed or whatever, like basically trying to improve the algorithm to like suppress bot accounts. And if you put up a level of financial wall, like, you know, you're not going to start a bot farm if they're all getting suppressed and you're not going to start a bot farm and make 20,000 fake accounts paying, you know, where you're end up paying 160 grand a month to run this. Like you're not going to do that. So I get that, like in theory, that should make it better. But also like I, there's a, like a conspiracy, like, you know how there's like one, well, obviously like there's the people that think like the earth is flat, but there's like the, uh, like birds aren't real conspiracy, yeah. <laughs> like things like that. I'm honestly convinced that like 85% of the political, especially political discourse on Twitter is just all bots arguing with each other. And it's not actually real because the stuff is so batshit insane that I'm like, nobody could actually believe this one. And two, like people don't talk like this in real life. And so it's, when it's like, yes, we need to suppress the bots or whatever. It's like, I don't communicate. Like I know literally I can guarantee that everyone I ever actually interact with on Twitter is a real person because I can like, there's the social validation of like, Oh, we have like 250 communal, like mutual followers. And I see you talking about a variety of topics, not just only talking about one thing all the time. Like, and so it's very strange and I don't, I don't know. It's I do not get this like meltdown. Although the one the one thing that I did see that was a funny meme was like because people were like he had all this money and he chose to spend forty four billion dollars on Twitter, like when he could go out and like solve world hunger or whatever. Which is funny because like six months or whatever ago or like a year ago, someone something about the UN like treating world hunger or whatever, and Elon said like give me a plan and if it's good enough, like I'll fund it. Or whatever, but then also someone I saw someone else was like, "Oh, cool! All those Twitter shareholders can pull together their forty-four billion dollars and solve world hunger." Then yeah. great, they have all those people. Um, disappear. Yeah, it well, doesn't. He I, didn't burn it. I just don't think ultimately it really is going to matter. But I think it's cool. Like, great, something to talk about. But I don't think it changes our day-to-day lives. So that is my message. Like, if you're worried about it, don't be. If you're excited about it. Don't be like, we're not going to really notice a change. The only thing I'm excited for is I did hear one interview with Elon where he was talking about an edit button, which you get with Twitter blue, but he was talking about it and he said, Oh, our developers at Twitter have been working on an edit button for a year and a half. And the interviewer was like, I guess an edit button is really complex. And he's like, no, it absolutely shouldn't be complex. This this is like eight hours of coding. This shouldn't take a year and a half. Yeah. And so the thing I'm excited about is like, hey, maybe we're going to like actually see some like innovation and progress again. And that's cool. That enhances yeah. my user experience. That's all that matters. Well, and with the edit button, I, I mean, the big thing is like you want to be able to see the history because you don't want where someone like yeah, yeah, trolls yeah. and like post something and then they go back and change it to make everyone look stupid whatever and like so yeah it's like you need a flag on there to say like this tweet has been edited click down and then be able to see the histories which the way you do that is you're still just like storing your tweets the same way that you store them and then like you basically just add an extra layer to where it's like the active tweet id instead of just the tweet id and so if it changes you just like it's not like you said like it's not complicated and that's what um which yeah and it's i i it's i don't get the meltdown or like the gushing over it i do think it is going to be an interesting thing because 
he's navigating like obviously there's a large like culture difference in how he wants to run things versus how twitter was doing things before it is a company kind of the first time that he hasn't started from the ground up where he's actually taken it over and he has he has apparently has a ton of ideas of what he wants to do and so it will be actually like a real t- interesting to see in the documentary of watching like will this actually work or is twitter finally going to die because they've never had good financials they've never made good like they've never really made money they spend like crazy and well i mean they've had tons of revenue but they've never really profited and it's always been a mess and kind of just the idea of oh this is going to string along like has been going but it's never been great so that'll be interesting but the bomb that was dropped this afternoon was not was that uh the athletic director of one Gonzaga University met with our hero and champion, Brett Yormark in Frisco, Texas. And apparently they said in the article, it said that the discussions were uh, quote exploratory, which also in the article, it was said the PAC 12 has been considering adding San Diego state and Gonzaga as members, whatever, but they has there's no one from the Pac-12 has said that an official like that immediate like that George Kliavkov has met with anybody from Gonzaga or San Diego State or Fresno or Boise. Like you assume the conversations have happened because it'd be insane if they hadn't happened at some point. But like, are the Zags going to come with us? It's interesting to think about it from a Pac-12 perspective because I read that that was my first thought. So if we break down this article. The Pac-12 has been talking with San Diego State and Gonzaga for potential membership. But we've never heard anything about it. We've never heard anything like that. But let's let's take it at face value and assume that that's true. I don't understand how that's going to work, right? There has to be another piece to that puzzle, or it isn't really happening. But Gonzaga doesn't have football. San Diego State can't go independent. You know, like they're not that kind of brand. Uh, the Mountain West isn't going to say, yeah, sure, take all of your other sports and go join everything but football, but you could keep football here. That would be awesome with us. Like, they're not going to let them do that. So either that story isn't true, which maybe, we haven't heard a word about it, or there is another piece to that puzzle that doesn't involve the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12, I guess, hasn't officially signed their TV deal. But sounds like it's done, right? And so if there's a grant of rights uh, that's associated with that in any way, shape, or form, um, maybe the Pac-12 ends up with more money per school, but I I certainly don't think it's going to be material enough that anybody would make a change from the Big 12. So it's got to be more of the the Pac-10, the Pac-12 rather, would be talking to San Diego State and Gonzaga and you know, an undetermined number of additional schools as well? Uh, maybe, because, I mean, they could go with 11. Be- and they just could. I because just especially everyone's dropping divisions because you don't need the divisions to the championship right. game. Right, and I, and, I, and I get it. I just don't see them doing that. that I mean, I guess it's just a scheduling headache. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what the Big Ten did for 20 years with 11 schools. Yeah, they and, did. For and, and, eight cons- and so with eight, you do eight conference games, there's two schools that you skip every year. And they, but the Big Ten did is they had like, they just basically, they paired all, they paired all the schools. And then it was like, I, you know, you would just skip these two schools in a rotation. And so like, you could do that. But if they added that, I think it's weird that we have not heard anything. It's just weird that, 
one, the Pac-12 went through a negotiation window. They went to market. They haven't said anything, you know, other than the sports business journal saying that they were like hundreds of millions of dollars apart, right? And then now Amazon's supposedly into it. Sports business journal is saying that they think the average value is going to end up around basically within the ballpark, maybe a little bit more because it's only 10 teams instead of 12 teams of the um, – yeah, yeah, end up in the in the similar of the Big Twelve deal. Like it's going to be a wash. That's right. fine, um, but it's weird to me that it's you know maybe they're going to stay at ten, but it's like this article just drops that it's going to be you know like they've been talking to Gonzaga already, but nobody's really heard about anything. And same with San Diego State, and nobody has actually reported that. Like there hasn't you know there've been meetings that Oregon and Washington met with people from the Big Ten in Chicago, but we haven't heard a peep about anybody meeting with the Pac-12. Seems a little sus to me. Now, I ran through this. I tried looking, you know, see maybe if Gonzaga does this entice Arizona, who's obviously a basketball first school, to want to make the jump. Maybe, because that's kind of the thing, maybe, but then you have 13 teams in that. You cannot schedule um, unless you do 10 you'd have to do 10 conference games and then you skip two teams every year. Um, but I don't think they want to do 10 conference games. You want to keep, you want to be able to try to schedule as many SEC and big 10 teams as you can to try to like show, Hey, you know, we're this number three league right behind you. Um, let the PAC 12 and the ACC have their supposed scheduling Alliance. Like you don't need to do that. You go schedule the SEC and the big 10. And um but maybe, you know, is it San Diego? You had San Diego State, Arizona, and Gonzaga. And then that is like, that is a basket. That is the SEC of basketball right there. Like that is as good, everybody's good as what the Big East was in its, at its peak before they broke off. And it, it may be, but it's, I, I just feel like we would, we would have heard something. More. Yeah. I, I just, it, it's kind of nice to finally, after 12 years of realignment, I don't really care anymore. I really don't like I have, we have been hanging on every piece of realignment news for more than a decade. I don't really care what happens now. Like BYU has a home. They have a TV deal. They know where they're going to be. They knew who they know who they're going to be there with. Maybe a couple of extra chairs are added to the table. Great. Maybe your neighbor in Utah, maybe they have to, you know, join you or they do, or they don't, or they get new classmates. I don't really care anymore. For the first time in 12 years, realignment news is just fun. Like, I don't have to yes. sit and, like, speculate too much because I really don't care. I still, just for the, the, the pure, I, I don't know, it, it's a little bit of the rivalry. It's become a Pac-12, Big 12 rivalry. Uh, you, you've seen, you know, Mandel and Wilner and Canzano against... McMurphy and, and, and Dellinger and, you know, and a few others. Uh, you've got obviously Klyovkov and, and uh, your mark that have kind of become a rivalry for, for lack of a better word. And obviously, you know, BYU fans hate Utah and vice versa from that aspect. Like that's really the only thing that I am I'm kind of like contemplating in my head, right. Is, is, is there a way to beat your rival? And I think that's fun. And, and I think that, from that perspective, I'd love what you described. I think adding Gonzaga, I think adding anyone, either San Diego State or Fresno, either one of them, doesn't matter. Adding one of them and Gonzaga, it really is just kind of like, what are you doing, Pac-12? Like, where are you going? 
uh, if you're able to lure away any school, whether it be Arizona, like you described, whether it be Oregon State in a poison pill type situation, like who cares? Like from a rivalry aspect, that's fun. But other than just the rivalries of Big 12, Pac-12, you know, journalist versus journalist, BYU versus Utah, I don't have to care about conference realignment anymore. And that feels so nice. Yeah, and everything it's everything about conference realignment is now well, is there anything we can do to make us better? Right? Yeah. Like and it's not whereas before and and it's like a, we don't have to do anything. But is there anything that's an option that can make us better, which obviously getting the Zags, like that makes the league better. Right. And so if that's an option you want to do it. Um, I guess there was an article from Kinsana which paused remember how uh, on Sunday or Monday night it was like big thing dropping at noon tomorrow. And then John Wilner was like, it's a newsy day. Yeah. Like, ooh, something's going to happen in the Pac-12. And then the whole thing was they did a podcast interview with uh, Bill Walton, who yeah. was like, "Yeah, I don't think the UCLA should go to the Big Ten. That's stupid. Yeah. Like, that was his whole that, – that was their big news. Did but you I guess speak over today? No, what did he say today? So – it was a newsy day when he has an interview with Bill Walton, as if somehow Bill Walton means anything in the grand scheme of things. But when the Gonzaga thing dropped from Thamel, he said, I have no comment. Maybe when the Big 12 actually gets their TV deal done. But he like totally downplayed it. Oh, gosh. And it was like, wait, so your interview with Walton means something, but your but this news that's actually tangible and right there in the big 12 or the pac 12's backyard and actually means something that's non news, but Bill yeah. Walton regurgitating Klyovkov's bullet points of things to talk about is news. Like, come on. Yeah. So it's I guess the, the journalistic, morning... the journalistic, I don't even know what to call it. Battle has been fascinating for me to watch. Yeah. And it's, it is amazing how they will posture and crouch everything. Yeah, right? like it, it's, it, it totally illustrates what we've all known is there, but it's like they're they're saying it out loud now, right? And everybody knows you have a bias. Everybody knows you represent something and a narrative of some kind. Everybody does it. And these guys are just putting it all out there and wearing it on their sleeve as if they think that's not going to have, like as if there are no long-term ramifications that are going to come from that. And that's what I think is so fascinating, right? At some point, one of them is going to be right and one of them is going to be wrong, right? McMurphy's going to be right or wrong. Canzano is going to be right or wrong. And if Canzano is wrong, if Wilner is wrong, how do you recover from that as a lifelong journalist? Like when It's not like you got a story wrong and you were misinformed on a scoop. They've been beating this drum for months and months and months and people have been openly opposing them, right? And you could go, you could argue either side of this. So, how the loser of this argument is going to like recover from a career standpoint and from any sort of long term credibility standpoint is going to be really interesting for me. It's like Chris Bous- Chris Broussard, right? Like he he pushed a narrative about LeBron James for so long, and then it was wrong. Nobody talks about Chris Broussard anymore, but he was like the face of ESPN for a while. Yeah. It, it it's I don't know I find it fascinating. Yeah, I don't. It's interesting to see. So I guess Kinsano he did on his Substack this morning posted, um, he did post about like that San Diego State and the Pac-12 were talking. So that was it, but it, it wasn't you know anything 
real and that's kind of like right you say oh they want to get back into southern california or they want to be in an area where they can justify you know trying to get on tv more or like regional broadcast to make more money whatever it is um but there's you know all of these uh it, it's like it's just interesting though to, and it's just such a so nice that it like it really it doesn't matter especially with an expanded playoff like it doesn't matter. Yes, we could glow. It would be so awesome to watch Utah get stuck with like in the Mountain West, and it's like they're just they thought that they won and left us forever, and then finally we get the last laugh. That would be great. That would be fantastic. I would love it. But they can go be in the Mountain West with Utah State forever. That would be hilarious. But the um, but it it just is so nice to once finally just be like it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter because the Big Twelve champion is going to get a shot at a national title every single year forever until and so like it doesn't matter right and it's like yes okay it's not you're not in the power two, right and but it doesn't again like that doesn't matter for now i mean if it does then where those two break off and do their own thing then college football as we know is dead and i'm probably not going to be as interested in the sport and i will like i'm not interested in watching that if I want to watch high level football that isn't very professionalized, I'll just go watch the NFL, right? I don't need to like it, it loses its luster, it loses its luster. But yeah, it is nice to just like none of it matters. It's just all the things where it's like, ooh, could this be interesting? Could this be fun? Could this make us better? And yeah, if there's if the Big Twelve added Gonzaga in Arizona, then that would last year the top five spots in the Kim the final Ken Palm rankings would be yeah. in the Big Twelve. In, thing, incredible. One thing we even, haven't talked about on the show, we've talked about it on our Discord. We've talked about it, you and I. Uh, what do you make, Garrett, of streaming services being a platform for commercial or for commercial for college football? What What is your take on that? Because the general consensus seems to be Fox is out of the Big Twelve. And Amazon and ESPN yeah. are kind of the players. Oh, uh, the Pac-12, yeah. Or excuse me, yeah, the Pac-12. Yeah. And, and and so that's kind of the general consensus. There's you know maybe still some conversations possible with an NBC or a CBS or I saw Discovery. Like and I think that's just Paramount now and CBS. But I thought it was funny yeah. to, to call it Discovery. I, I laughed at that. Like the idea that hey maybe a an, you know Oregon State versus Utah will be on that. Do you that turn? Are we going to get on a? TNT TBS are they going to get back into the the no, game? I, mean, I think they could. I mean, so there's there's some ideas of other things, but the general consensus with everybody who's covering this, not us, right? Real people who are covering this seems to be ESPN and combination in some sort of and Amazon in some sort of a combination. I don't think we've talked about it on the show. What what's your take on Amazon for college football? Uh, they may pay you money, but it is not worth it right like the the big 12 probably left money on the table right they were you know willing to they signed a grant of rights it wasn't you know they could have signed a longer one they could have it was a mid-range one it's like a six-year deal or whatever right um they left money on the table because they reintroduced uh, the pro rata clause. So if they invite another P5 school, the money will go up and everyone will make the same amount of money without diluting it. So that any, I mean, that's a trade-off, right? Like they could have, they could have gotten more money right now 
and maybe gotten, you know, $38 million instead of 32, but then it would be diluted back down to 32 or 35, but then diluted down to 30 if you added another school, whatever, um, or two schools. And so having that in there matters. So it, it's all a trade-off and is getting $35 million, but you're on Amazon going to be worth it. It's not. And it's not even like if it was with ESPN to where you're on ESPN plus, then honestly, I would say it might be worth it because just from a user experience, flipping apps is not as easy as flipping channels. Okay. You don't have a guide the same way. And if I, but if I go into the ESPN app or the Hulu app, which includes all the ESPN plus stuff, it's like alongside ESPN, ESPN plus ESPN, U and ABC. I also have everything that's on ESPN plus. So when you're within the same app, if your streaming content is on ESPN plus, which the big 12 is going to be, that's like flipping a channel, like, because you can be locked into a place where you can hop back and forth through multiple games, the ESPN app on Apple TV, you can do the multi view with four screens at once. It's great. If I right now, like the, yes, you could get into more homes, right? With the, the distribution would be wider than with the PAC 12 network, but the viewership would honestly probably go down because I'm not going to jump over to, I'm not going to exit out of a game that I like. If I'm in Fubo and I'm watching two big 12 games in SEC game, I'm not going to exit out of that app, go into the Amazon app to check how the Washington State Stanford game is doing, even if it's a close game. I'm not going to do it. But if it's in within my other app and it takes me two seconds and so I can double click a button and have it jump back and forth, like the the last channel return button, whatever, then that is something I would do. And so it's not worth it. And you can look at, and I've seen Pac-12 fans say like, well, look at the NFL numbers and what they're doing. The NFL is not competing anyone and it's one game a week and everyone knows it's on and the numbers have tanked. Like they're not as good yeah. as what they have been. Here's what I think is interesting. You bring up the NFL. Um, there's this notion that, that Amazon's going to come and pay maybe even more than a traditional carrier in order to get access to college football. And I don't know what Amazon has done in their history as a company that would lead anybody with any sort of like education on who Amazon is at all believe that's true. Right. Amazon isn't a TV network like they can't just throw money in order to keep their content alive. They have shareholders. They have a board. They have a company. They have stock. Right. Like they're a publicly traded company that exists for non TV reasons. They can't just go and vastly overpay for college football and not have a clear cut plan for a return on that and make it worth it for their shareholders. Right. ESPN Which they are wanting, they, and they are wanting to launch, um, right? Like they are wanting to launch. They said like, they're going to do like an all day new sports thing. Right. So they're wanting to get into that, but I just like, don't get like, why do they need to overpay the yeah. pack 12 to do that? That's the part so, that doesn't add up to me. And well, and that's what I mean. Like, so ESPN, like, I, I think the closest thing to a comparison that we have is the Monday night football TV deal with ESPN. And the Thursday night football TV deal with, uh, or media deal, I guess, with, with Amazon, right? Amazon's was a 12-year deal, $13 billion. So a little more than a billion bucks a year, right? 
ESPN gets a couple of extra games, like they get the ESPN, like the Monday night doubleheader, I think the beginning of the year and the end of the year, their deal, they pay about $1.9 billion a year. So almost double, right, what, what Amazon right. is paying for Thursdays. I get it. Maybe there's more cachet with Monday night football than there is with Thursday night football, but I think that's largely a wash. Um, ESPN is paying roughly double what Amazon did. Like Amazon, from based on that, Amazon got a deal on Thursday night football. If Amazon had to pay double that in order to get Thursday night football, would they have done it? I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Amazon yeah. runs their company in with the with the notion that they're going to be profitable and they can have all of these strategic directions and 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 things that they want to do but i just don't believe that they're going to do it if that price isn't right and i well, don't see them having to overpay now and i don't see it when it's they are the p5 league with the least amount of fan support i don't see why of all the leagues that they would go in on the pac 12 right yeah, like if they could have going to overpay why wouldn't they have overpaid for the big 10 that's Right. Well, and the the Big Ten they turned down money. Like the Big Ten is part of their. I mean, they got their fat deal, but they said like they turned down and left money on the table because they said, "Uh, "Yeah, we want to be on Fox. Like we want to be on broadcast TV. We want the distribution is worth value is valuable to us, and being out there. Like you think if you know, look at the ESPN. Right, look at ESPN." And how much they talk about the SEC. Why do they talk about the SEC? Like you can say it's a conspiracy or whatever. They spend a crap load of money on the yeah. SEC. ESPN just bought the one game a week. They're paying, how much are they paying the SEC for the Saturday, the game that they bought from CBS? Um, billion something. Yes. It's like a, almost, a, it's like a billion dollar contract just for one single game a week. And the, and so when you're talking about that, it's like, well, of course they're going to pipe up the SEC because they want people to watch the SEC because that's what they're spending money on. And so why... component that I think everybody's leaving out of this discussion, right, is Amazon, great. Like, even if Amazon will overpay, which I I don't think they will just because of their company history, they don't overpay for things. Uh, So I don't think they will. But let's just pretend that they do. Unless Amazon is getting some sort of piece of the pie in the college football playoff world, which... Everything we've read so far says that they're not. It's ESPN and Fox, and then CBS and NBC are trying to get their scraps too, right? Like, that's what we've heard. Well, then what what motivation is there for Fox and or ESPN to really give the Pac-12 the time of day in their coverage? Like, unless Amazon now starts competing, like you say, with that 24-hour sports news narrative that they can help create narratives, then even if you get more money, you're going to die. We saw this with the NHL, right? The NHL went with NBC Sports. They got more money than they ever had. ESPN stopped talking about hockey, and hockey interest plummeted to the point that now the NHL came back and said, hey, we're turning down more money to renew with NBC Sports. ESPN, please sign us. Please talk about us again. NBC Sports is dead. Right. Like the whole channel is shut down. It's gone. And and so now we're seeing hockey being talked about more on ESPN. And lo and behold, national interest in hockey is starting to creep back up. And so yeah. there's value in those narratives. And I think, and this isn't just a Pac-12 thing, but this is anybody, right? The reason the NFL can go to Amazon 
is because it's one game a week and they still have their narrative and they're only competing with themselves, right? Like the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have to compete with the Baltimore Ravens for notoriety, right? If they win, they're going to get talked about period end of discussion. That's not the same in college football. And so you need those narratives and I don't know that Amazon or Apple or any other streaming service is going to be able to provide those. So unless ESPN is ponying up enough of the money that, that the Pac-12 is an ESPN conference and Amazon is there on the side, I don't know how the Pac-12 or anybody who goes all in on, the, on, on a streaming service stays even remotely relevant. And on the flip side of that, too, it's, it seems like, okay, so obviously the ACC is tightened up with ESPN for another decade. Right. The SEC is in bed with ESPN. Fox is in bed with uh, the Big Ten. And then the Big 12 is in bed with both. It's like, where is, like, what time slots are going to be left? And even then, too, it's like, yeah, maybe they get paid, but it's going to be like, what has the complaint been? of the Pac-12 for the fans for the right. last decade oh, is yeah. we it. don't, we like the polls are biased against us because we have to kick off at 8 30 PM Pacific every week when everyone else on the East coast is already in bed. So nobody pays attention to us. Yeah. You think doubling that and putting it on Amazon is going to, that's going to make it any better. It, it also feels like a dicey game that Klyovkov is playing. Like I, I think your mark getting this done first and having BYU able to, to secure, you know, at least six spots a week on ESPN of playing, or excuse me, six spots a year on ESPN playing at 830. Um, it also puts the Pac-12 in a bind because of the Mountain West. If it's only about filling up that slot and the ratings aren't going to be great because we know that Arizona versus Washington state doesn't pull ratings. We've, we've seen that data already. If, if it's just about filling the slot and having content, uh, you could still do that with the mountain West conference and put a San Jose state Hawaii game on ESPN. Check that box. Like it, it isn't like a, some foregone conclusion here that the PAC 12 has this slot as like this huge, massive thing that nobody else has. They don't. From a rating standpoint, whether it is Nevada versus San Jose or Oregon State versus Washington State, it's going to pull about the same. And with the, I mean, when you're talking about two consolidating, that's obviously UCLA and USC. They're going to get some late games too for coming from the Big Ten. And now where it's dialed in, like if there is, you know, if you're tuning into a game and there's say that it's late the big 10 has fox right so it's like on fox or fs1 you've got michigan playing at usc and then in the same time slot you've got west virginia playing at byu and washington state playing at utah yep the third of those it doesn't matter how good washington state and utah are like the entire when you have a single late night game like Big Twelve game playing, you're not you're not just like oh it's BYU fans watching like you are getting now there is a reason for fans of eleven other schools to, or ten other schools other than the two in there to tune in and watch that game because it's like 
well, why would I watch a random, you know, right now where there's nothing in that time slot? I think you, you probably get a pretty decent spread of like wanting to watch whatever the best game is, kind of checking on whatever. But if it's like, if there's a conference game that affects your conference, then that, you know, that's worth more, right? Like that's why conference TV deals will always kind of end up being a little bit more than what an independent team would be because it's like now, even though I'm an Ohio State fan, I have somewhat of an interest in watching Indiana and Northwestern play because that could affect, you know, the standings, what's going to happen with me, who are we going to play in a conference championship game? Like there is a vested interest in other teams besides your own. So you have a preference of who you're going to watch if you're tuning into a random game and that, you know, there is nobody, I mean, it's the PAC 12 with it. I think they get a lot. And obviously this is my conjecture. This hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. But a lot of their numbers are buoyed up by the random people who happen to be up who don't really have a dog in the fight, so they just pick a game versus now I have a game that I'm going to seek out because I have somebody to root for in this or I have a concern about that, whatever. And it's been a complaint of Pac-12 fans for a while that they, they don't do themselves any favors with scheduling. But on any given week, you've got one of – USC, UCLA, or Oregon in that 8.30 time slot, no matter how good they are. they That's the complaint, is that they're not always putting their best teams in the primo time slot. And, you know, from my standpoint, it's because they know that, yeah, if we don't put a marquee brand of our conference in that 8.30 slot, we're not going to get numbers. We're not going to be able to continue to show that, hey, we can fill this. And when you take USC and UCLA away, I don't know how they're going to well, do that. And part of it is like there's something weird with like every team has to be on the Pac-12 network a certain number of yeah. times of year. Yep. And so the way that works out, like it gets to where you end up having, and it's like based on how they pick, it's like the Pac, like and it was kind of laid out in the same way, right? It's like ESPN gets so many of the first 12 picks and then, like they get like the first six and then like eight of the first 12 and whatever, then Fox gets to choose. It's basically a draft. Right. And the way it works out right now is like, you will end up with a game where it's like, Oh, like, you know, Oregon and Utah playing on the PAC 12 network. And it's like, Oh, why is this here? This should be a marquee game. And it's because of the way the, the deal was structured, which they did a horrible job and then could never get distribution. So nobody, relatively nobody has the channel it's a such yeah. i mean just looking at it right now like this week it's a random week it's a perfect example i'm pulling it up and looking at it now for the first time this wasn't like some you know we we, we don't have an agenda we didn't know we were going to talk about this Eight thirty on a friday night one of the five ranked uh pac-12 teams plays oregon state at washington uh at eight thirty mountain time so crappy kickoff on a friday night uh, the next game, they've got Oregon, right, at that primo primetime, 1.30 in the afternoon, Oregon at Colorado on ESPN. That's awesome. They have Arizona at number 14, Utah, the Pac-12 network at 5.30. Number 12, UCLA at 7.30 on Fox Sports 1. And then, there it is, lo and behold, Cal at number 9, USC at 8.30, on ESPN. So, I mean, we, I mean, it's there right there in real time. 
they've always got one of their big brands in that late slot. And when they lose two of their big brands, I don't know how the Pac-12 competes with now BYU, who's there, and they have the Big 12, and the Big 10 is able to throw a, a, a game or two at those late slots too. I don't know how the Pac-12 does that because they, they tend to do that every single week, have somebody in that late-night window. And without that, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. I just – it that – and then you you set it best, and then compound a streaming service on top of that. That feels like no matter what the payout is, you're you're playing with fire. Yeah. Well, and the the late night window, right? I mean, your mark is even. It's everyone said it over the summer, like when Mandel and Wilner were pushing all of their numbers of you know their very bad anal- non thorough analysis of like oh the Pac twelve is so valuable because of the late night window. So because there's nobody else out here, we lock this window down. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Maybe that's true from the numbers perspective. It wasn't because it excluded all of the games that were on the Pac-12 network. And so some of those teams, it's like, oh, your average, your average for Arizona was like 1.2 million because they only had two games that actually got broadcast. It was when they played Oregon and USC. So, of course, they're going to pull numbers in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but the um, there's uh, – you know, your, your mark even said, like, we need to get that late window, having all four time zones, like being able to get teams in every slot, like that's valuable to expanding the league. Okay, that's fine. I get it. That makes sense. So with that, though, if that is so valuable to the Pac-12, then you don't get to continuously complain about always being kicked up, kicking off late when everyone else is asleep. Yep. And if you say, okay, well, we want to go with Amazon because Amazon – you basically, you're adding another channel, which if you want to add another channel, it's like, yeah, go talk to Turner or NBC, get them to expand, get like, have a play, a lead in going to Notre Dame or everyone's got, if you have cable, you have TBS, dude, like go have another channel that's national, like a nationally broadcast, freaking go get a deal with USA Network. That would be better than being on Amazon. Right. And because everyone would have it and could just flip to it. And then... But if you are saying like, oh, well, we're going to do it because we want to play at better time slots. Okay, well, you're on better time slots. You're going head-to-head with the SEC and the Big Ten, the bulk of their games. And then you expect a random Joe Blow fan to exit out of an app and go into the Amazon app. Like, I, I don't buy it. It just I, doesn't it's not up, right? Like, I personally, as a degenerate football junkie who will seek out on my phone be like oh this random cusa game it's 43 to 40 with five minutes left let me pull this up on my phone i am not going to tune in for more than five minutes because i get the notification on my phone that it's a close game so i'll open it that is it like i'm not going to watch the bulk of that game and you stand no chance at driving any traffic for basketball that's the component here that, okay, if the if Amazon gets involved, what else are they doing, right? There's a bunch of other sports, like there's basketball, there's women's basketball. I get that that doesn't move the needle for people, but are you trying to convince me that I'm going to go watch a Utah basketball game on Amazon? Because I'm not, like nobody is. Yeah. Um, Utah not fans don't watch Utah basketball. They're not going to Amazon to watch Utah basketball. Yeah, and I I just look so the 
the Big 12 fields 23 sports. The Pac-12 fields 24. So even if they expand, like, there's, I mean, they, they will have more content. Because I think the assumption is that Amazon, the Pac-12 network will be replaced with this Amazon streaming. Like, all of the, and Amazon would be what ESPN Plus is to the Big 12 of, like, you know, your random women's volleyball game, your women's basketball games for the bottom half of the league, like all that stuff is going to just be, it's going to be shoved on streaming and that's fine. I do think it is laughable though, that some of our uh, brethren to the North do think that like there's Amazon is going to like buy out the entire Pac-12 network and like acquire the company. So there will be a fat, like there's going to be this big windfall of like realizing an exit from building this startup exit and I like which I also I just don't understand because it's you're the only thing you have is the inventory of games and your games are your broadcast rights so when you sell your broadcast rights to Amazon you are selling everything so what are they going to do buy I mean maybe you could go buy out your already halfway depreciated cameras cameras and equipment I'm pretty sure Amazon knows where to order stuff so if they want different something, they can go get it. But so it's like, it's not like they're not going to get, get the halfway depreciated equipment that was probably ordered on Amazon to begin with. Yes. <laughs> and so it's like, I, I don't get like, what is it once they own the rights to broadcast everything, what is there left to buy out? See, right? like I, you... I, I think I could make sense of it, but not with Amazon, right? Like that feels the, the PAC 12 network feels like an asset for, ESPN, you know, for somebody who has traditional linear network channels. That right, even which ESPN not, runs the ACC network and the SEC network, yeah, and then Fox so runs the Big Ten network. If you were able to just, like, assume all of their equipment, you have their distribution already, although it's not great, you have it, like, that feels like a valuable asset. I, I, I'll concede 100%. That right. feels like there's value there. But if you're a streaming service the hell does a channel do for you right you, you like you're, you're not needing to take over where it's like oh yeah we've got channel 472 yeah. locked down on dish network so you yeah. can assume that channel slot without like, having to renegotiate netflix you know, isn't like jumping chomping at the bit to like take over the the channel because they want to put netflix on xfinity like that's not how this works and so i don't understand why they think amazon is going to treat that like an asset I, if it were ESPN is going to maybe bail you out and pay some money for it or Fox or CBS or somebody else, NBC possibly, right? We talk about how NBC sports has kind of died, maybe something there. But if you're a streaming service that you're just spinning things up, especially a streaming service that owns AWS for crying out loud, right. like you're able to spin up a new streaming platform on your own hardware immediately. Right. I, it doesn't make sense to me and I'm not a tech expert. I, I think the biggest thing, and you mentioned it a little bit ago with like the data and Mandel and, you know, and everybody and their crappy data analysis. Journalists went to journalism school to learn how to cover stories and get scoops. When you get into this analysis and projection world, you're not dealing with subject matter experts at all. Right? So Wilner can put out whatever he wants. Wilner's a damn good journalist. Like, like him, hate him, whatever. He's damn good at finding stories, finding scoops, and covering a program, covering a conference. 
He is very, very good. One of the country's best. But when it comes to data analysis, uh, Garrett, I'm going to go ahead and lean on you before I listen to John Wilner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he Thank wrote. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> if If it's about like determining the valuation of what makes an asset valuable and figuring out who is going to possibly acquire that asset, I, I think, I mean, I'm a commercial banker who hardly deals with that. And I think I'm more qualified to do an underwriting type evaluation and figure out what makes sense. You know what I mean? Like these journalists that talk about that, John Canzano, I, I, Clownzano, please <laughs> say I right. Just get, like why, you know, what authority does he have to talk about the valuation or potential whatever that exists with an asset like a TV channel. It just doesn't make sense. He has that's not his wheelhouse. That's not what he went to school for. That's not what he does for his job even. Like why would we listen to him with any sort of authority? Yeah. Now, could Amazon as part of their expansion if they want to get into sports actually take over the slot of and actually take over the Pac-12 network and sure. rebrand it as the Amazon Sports Network and say we can't just go streaming. We have to have this on sure. here as, in a linear network as well. Yes, and actually that would make a lot more sense. And I could see them actually paying for that or maybe they're like, you know, and that is where I could see where it's like they're overpaying the rights fee because folded into that, it's like they're not paying an acquisition fee for the network itself. It's like, oh, well, we're going to pay you a little bit more for the rights, but then we're going to get the network as you know, as part, that's what you're trading off. Yeah. That would make sense. And I assume it, but in all of this talk about Amazon, which it's not just like some random person said, Oh, this is like, I mean, it's like sports business journal. It's literally everybody who's covering this nationally is talking about like the PAC 12 and Amazon and maybe Apple, like the PAC 12 is talking about going into streaming, going into streaming, going into streaming. It just like, nobody has mentioned that. Yeah. The, that the Pac-12 network would be converted into a, you know, like, you know, like the Pac-12 network would be converted into an Amazon sports network that Amazon could get into linear TV to start fielding these talk shows that they say they're going to do, put those on in the morning, have the games on in the afternoon, whatever, and try to get in your cable flipping rotation of sports watching. That has nothing, like nobody has said that. And so I, it, I guess it could happen. I would think that'd be the logical thing, but to me, this feels like the Pac-12, which a decade ago, or 12 years ago, whenever now, they went all in on this Pac-12 network, and they went all in on, um, they went all in on, we're going to be in San Francisco, we're going to be the forward-thinking conference, we are going to start our own network, and we're not going to partner with ESPN, we're going to buy all the equipment ourselves, we're going to do our own broadcast, we're going to do our own distribution, because we are basically going to be the, like, we're going to be, what, is it, sports tech, like, Marte, like, whatever the fintech is of sports, right, like, that is what we're going to be of conferences, yeah. and this forward-looking thing, and because we're always looking to the future, and it kind of feels like the same thing again where, you know, they had their headquarters in San Francisco, which was really stupid forever, right? And then they were doing this thing forever. And now it's like they're still going into like Silicon Valley. That's going to be us. That's what's going to save us. And it just feels like this. Every time 
you have a chance to do something to come back to like being nationally relevant, which is what you want, right? People in the West, like no matter what, BYU fans were always going to keep up with the Pac-12 because one, F Utah, and two, like that's the schools we grew up around, right? That was, we played a lot of non-conference games against them over the years. We played yeah. everybody but Colorado during independence. And, which you know, is it's so like, weird to me. Why didn't Colorado ever happen? I don't know. And so they, which by the way, uh, Colorado, their board of directors, board of regents has a meeting tomorrow and discussing the PAC 12 conference affiliation is on the docket of that. Um, I looked at the meeting agenda today. Um, they, so it's like, it feels like, every time they have a chance to do something, it's like they're going back into the Silicon Valley where it's like, you are trying so hard to like find some magic special thing and you're overthinking it and overcomplicating it. And you are just out of touch with the reality of what your average college football fan, Yeah. where it's like, what do you call it? Like, what is the, like the, um, what's that word? There's like the population center or whatever of like in a state, there's like, you can see like this is where the population center is of like, you know, basically, you know, where there's even people north, south, east and west of it. If you take a population center of college football fans, you're going to end up in like Indiana. No, not even that. I don't think further east than that. You're going to end up in like Tennessee somewhere like Nashville, probably. And somewhere around there, because it's like basically where you're going to have if you took the majority of the big 10 and then the sec and then stuck those on a diagonal, whatever the mill, it's going to be like Nashville, Right. So think of that part of the country and that is who you are trying to appeal to yeah. as a college football fan. And if you're worried about national relevance, if you're, you know, and really none of this matters because it's like, they can be obscure because a 12 team playoff really takes a lot of stress off their back. You know, I guarantee if it was stuck at a 14 playoff, I think we'd be hearing a lot less about Amazon and Apple because then it becomes, we need ESPN talking about us. We have to have people talking about us, whatever, but sports writers, it doesn't matter if no one watches you. If you go undefeated in the PAC 12, you're going to get be one of the 12 teams. If you're one loss, maybe even two, and you're the champion, you're going to be one of the top 12 teams. You're going to get a shot at the playoff, just like everybody else. So push come to shove, like whatever happens on the field happens, but it's a weird, it's just a weird thing. I think there's a macro conversation there though, right? Of like, if you don't have a narrative, if they're not talking about you, can you continue to get recruits? Like California already has a problem keeping their own homegrown talent in California, in the PAC 12. That only gets exacerbated as you are talked about less and less, but we've rambled about non BYU for a while. Yeah, for fifty three minutes and twenty five seconds now. And in on in some respects, though, that feels appropriate given how BYU has played over the course of the last little while. Here's the thing, folks: BYU plays against Boise. Boise is it opened as an eight and a half point favorite. It's now a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, frankly, I wouldn't argue if Boise was a twenty and a half point favorite at this point. I. I uh, I, I don't even really want to watch the game. It's on FS2, which is the former like NASCAR truck channel. So there's that. Um, Boise is better. They've played some crappy teams in their you know their resurgence in this you know last month of the season. They're getting a lot of credit. BYU fans have looked at, at Boise and said, "Look, they fired their coordinator and they turned it around. They're four and zero. They would have been four and zero either way. They've played kind of." dog shit teams and so i'm not 
overly impressed by that. But yeah, they look like a better team. Their defense is stout. Their offense is meh. But I have zero confidence in BYU. Like, I would kill for the defense to be meh. Our defense is booty hole. The offense has been just as booty hole. Uh, I just wrote an article just on, on CSI earlier tonight. Over the last four games, the offense is scoring 23 points a game. The defense is giving up 37. For the longest time, 24 points has been kind of the pillar of the program, and we're failing on both ends right now. We're giving up more than 24, and we're scoring less than 24. Like, one of them is a little bit closer to their goal, but both teams are failing. One of them is failing with, like, a 49% F, and the other one is failing with a 28% F, but they're both getting Fs on their report report card at the end of the day. Um. I looked at this as well, and so because I've seen people, and really just shows like how bad the 2017 team was. That as bad as the defense is right now, the 2017 offense was still way worse, right? Like yeah. in S P Plus, like this defense is like when I, I looked up, it's like this. The defense is like 94th right now, and they give up to an average team. They would give up like 31.7 points a game. And the offense in 2017 was ranked number 121 and against an average team would only score like 18 points a game. And so if you, if you take like, yeah, if you take a look at both of those and then compare the two, basically this team would be a full touchdown favorite over the 2017 team. Yeah. I, I think people, I get it. It sucks. Losses suck. Things don't look great right now. I think people forget how awful 2017 really was. People keep wanting to say, you know, this is really the only thing I want to say about this game. And we've talked about it already uh, on other shows, but like people keep wanting to say that, Hey, this is the second time this has happened to Kalani. And I I get it in some respects. That's true. Uh, 2017. I have a hard time. We've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum over six years. I have a hard time saying that was Kalani's fault. Given that the, you know, the, it wasn't his players. There was a lot of things. Kalani could have done better, but that was happening either way. This year, there are so many factors this year. Yes, a lot of them are on, you know, the head coach. The the recruiting on the defensive side of the football, that's on the head coach. That's on the coordinators. That's, you know, there's lots of people responsible for the mess that BYU is in. So, like, no way trying to, like, obfuscate anybody from from that responsibility but also there are some uh, i don't know what to what to even call them but there are some other external factors that i think play a bigger role maybe intangible factors is the right word that i think have played a much bigger role in the demise of the season than than anybody was willing to talk about or give credit for and and nobody wants to say that Hey, looking forward to the Big 12. Well, that's on the head coach. He should have his team motivated. Uh, yeah, sure, but are you, right? Like, we've been, fans have been talking about the Big 12 since it happened. Like, this whole year was, let's get prepped for the Big 12. Like, basketball, we're looking at it. Like, hey, let's look at what Mark Pope's doing to get his team Big 12 ready. Media day was Dave McCann asking Kalani a million questions about how the Big 12, how they're preparing for the Big 12. I wrote about it on media day. People laughed at my article. Like, I'm not kidding you, Garrett. They laughed at me 
at the notion that, hey, maybe we're too focused on the Big 12. Because how could we not be focused on the Big 12? The team will be fine. There's enough seniors. I, I get it, but seniors are not. They're still college kids. And they're with, still human. They're still human. And when they walk into the locker room and they see nothing but Big 12 logos and they get their their new gear for the year and it's got a Big 12 logo, they get interviewed by by the same people who are jacked up about the Big 12. They they see it all. I think once one or two losses happened, the whole program, the whole athletic department, the entire fan base has been looking ahead to the Big 12 for the last year. And I, I think that we were super quick to dismiss that that could play any role in the mentality of this season. But given how quickly things fell off, I think it's very clear that that's played a big role this year. And it's not just us. Like, look at Houston. People thought that yeah. they were going to – they went 11-1 last year, and – then people thought that they were going to maybe be the NY6 thing because Cincinnati lost so many guys. Cincinnati's lost a bunch of dudes, but they haven't really captured like UCF. I mean, the UCF beat Cincinnati last week, so they're ranked, but it's it, it's all four teams that are coming in next year have kind of, they all of them took a step back. From yeah, none of them are going to win the, you know, I, I, I think, I guess a couple, like, I guess UCF and Cincinnati are still sort of in the mix, but I don't think any uh, I, any of them win the five auto bid this year? No, I, I think it's weird that like Tulane, seven and one Tulane, who somehow lost to Southern Miss, is their only loss of the season is right in the rate. But I just want also like going back to 2017. So I'm going to okay. Well, this run I pulled up the Massey composite. So there's 88 computer rankings. Average the take the average ranking of each school and then put them in order. Right. So it's like. Every system has its biases of like, well, it kind of is weighted more towards this or whatever. Like that should all be washed out because you're averaging 88 things. It should be pretty decent, right? So here's our losses. And ironically, actually, all five of our losses go in order from highest rank to lowest ranked in this, but that is just an observation. So Oregon. I don't think anybody has an issue with the fact that we lost to Oregon. It sucked at the time because they had just gotten absolutely dump trucked by uh, Georgia two weeks before that and then played an FCS team. So we didn't really know what they were in week three. Oregon's a damn good ball club. Okay. I don't think anyone is disputing that right now. If they win out and win the Pac 12, they're probably going to get a sh- go to the playoff. Is that a fair yeah. assessment? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Second loss of the season. Okay. Let's see here. Let me replace a name. Based on this season, would you be upset if BYU lost by a touchdown to Wake Forest, North Carolina, or Oregon State? Uh, No. I mean, all of those teams have been ranked, are ranked, or close to being ranked this year. And so, yeah, I I think you would be okay. Okay. So, number in Massey Composite, number 22, Wake Forest, number 23, North Carolina, number 24, Notre Dame, number 25, Oregon State. Okay, now jumping down a little bit, Arkansas. That one sucked because we gave up 50, but I think every, like the way we lost that game is what was the most frustrating part. It's still, it was an SEC team, right? And it's they are, are ranked number 29 in the country right now. They're right ahead of number 30, 30 Florida State, number 31 Baylor, number 32 UCF, right? So that's where Arkansas is just coming in front of those three. Now, 
hear about this. Knowing how this season has gone, um, what if BYU went on the road and lost to uh, Purdue, Kansas, Minnesota, or Florida? Uh, you don't love it, but I'm betting you that's about where Liberty is right now. Yep, so Purdue 37, Kansas 38, Liberty 39, Minnesota 40, Florida 41. Right. Texas Tech 42, ECU, East Carolina is 43. So it's our worst loss of this season is the, by all the computer rankings, the 43rd best team in the country. That's not ideal, but we also didn't get blown out by them. We had chances to win, and we kind of threw the game away. Same, Liberty obviously didn't get dump truck. That was really a mental game, but obviously they were hyped, but it's not like Liberty's a top 40 team and going on the road two time zones away, that counts for something, right? And it's, yeah, we got... Yep. rolled by them but it, it's that one you know similar it was the way we lost but it, it's kind of like we i i see a lot of people and it, it bothered me with the bowl game last year too of how you know forever it was always with BYU fans it was like people don't respect us we can play with anybody we're just as good as anybody but they don't respect us because we're in the whack and then now last year turn around and do the we, same thing we did it to Liberty. We do it to ECU. We do it to UAB. I'm not justifying those losses. We should have won all of those games. We're winnable games. We had more talent than those teams. We should have won those games. But you can't, like, it, it is hypocritical to me as a fan to not recognize when the computers are saying, this team is better than you. It doesn't matter where they're from. doesn't matter who their coach is. doesn't matter what number of stars their players had. Those were all inputs, but the output as it is today and what reality is, those three teams are better yeah. than yep, us. I agree. And where's, it is what it is. Where's Boise on that list? Just for context, uh, So Boise, uh, for going into this week, as I um, – let me see here. Where is – Boise is 54, and we are 62. So um, Boise is – the worst, I guess, of the teams that we've lost to would be the worst team. This would be the worst loss of the year. Is that accurate? Um, wait a minute. Oops. Uh, oh, wait. That was the week before. Oh, Boise's 50. Yeah. Yes, they are. They, this is, Boise would be the worst team that we lost to. So there's yeah, a lot. Yeah, I guarantee you that every single fan, every single BYU fan you ask will say that Boise is a better team than East Carolina but they do not because they do not pay attention to the East Carolina or the American. I I would agree with that. Um, So going into the game, I mean, I, I I don't think I'm not as scared of Boise as, as, as me. I've been predicting a Boise loss, like a a loss to Boise all year long, even when BYU was ranked. I thought this was a game and people said, no, Jeff, Boise's not very good. Uh, This is, 10 weeks in a row that BYU has had a game. Boise's never easy to play. And like Utah State, this is a rivalry that they're miffed that they don't get to play BYU in in the future. So there's going to be some extra juice. Uh, Having said that, weirdly enough, I'm less scared of Boise State than I have been all year. I'm just not that impressed with what Boise has done over the last month. And we talked about it in our post-game show. 
and I think you were you were pretty fired up on the post game show, the raw emotions of right after the game, right? There was progress last week. Wasn't a ton of progress, and there was still a, you know an immense amount of progress that needed to be made. But last week, I went back and watched the game, and it kind of validated, especially knowing that it was you know the result. I knew what it was going to be, so I didn't really have that emotion of the game. I could just kind of watch it. There are still plenty of issues, but the team didn't feel as lost, and things didn't feel as hopeless as they did against Liberty. It felt like, okay, Kalani's influence still isn't where it needs to be. The team still hasn't done what we need them to do, but it did feel like the team was responding to their new you know, pseudo-defensive coordinator. And for that reason, it feels like, there's reason to be confident. And we talked about it with, with Bronco took him a couple of weeks in, in 2014 to really get that ship turned around. I think this is the first week that Kalani will have it turned around in no way. Am I predicting a win, but I do think that this game will be much more competitive than things have been over the last month. And I think BYU will have a chance to win. That's about as, as optimistic as I can be in terms of a final score. But I do think that we'll be able to look at this game after and say, okay, Cougars aren't a lost cause. There is still reason for hope for the future. Yeah, I think the results, the results on Friday defensively was the same. Maybe going back and watching it through motion removed, you can see like, okay, well, guys at least was the effort better, right? Were there guys, like, even if you're out of position, even if you made a mistake, was the effort there, you know, that you know that could be improvement. Um, I just also look back at the 2017, uh, while you're talking about the 2017 ranking. So our worst loss in 2017 was also to East Carolina. But instead of number 43, they were number 109. Yeah, 2017 so, was dreadful, guys. So don't, like, if you are comparing this team to 2017, like, it ain't even close. Like it's not, it is not even in the ballpark in terms of how bad that team was. Yeah. So the worst embarrassing loss, I guess, was Oregon. Maybe that, you know, BYU couldn't move the ball. They still scored 21 points. 2017, they didn't cross the damn 50 yard line against LSU. Like yeah. it's so, a different world of suck in 2017. <laughs> yes. And so we, so yes, keep that everything in context. So I think, this week, I mean, with Boise, they you look at what they want to do. They run. I mean, their offense now with Cotter, it's like they run the ball. We're gonna get to see a lot of George Olani, and we're gonna run the ball. And so, hopefully, there's you know we see a similar. I mean, we may see a similar game plan to what we see you know Saw versus Baylor, and where we're really pushing down. Hopefully, I would be shocked if we're doing because it it's they don't they put they. Bachmeyer's transferred. Their new quarterback is a really mobile kid. He's a freshman, but he runs a lot. So it's going to be, you know, what do we do to try to stop them? And defensively, like, they're just fine. Like, it's Boise is a middle-of-the-road team. They are beatable. But we have to get out of our own heads and just get amped to actually play some ball. And that's the thing. Like, there's, like, offensively, we've got to stop. Like, we need to which last week we worked consistently. Like, we okay, we tried to get going on the ground. The offensive line played the best game that they played all season last week. They were two fourth downs where they didn't get a push and they needed to, and that struggled it, you know, but it's 
you know, how healthy is Jaron's shoulder healthy enough to where he can actually trust his arm to throw it over the middle is, you know, do we feel comfortable enough to not stare down Puka every time as soon as we snap the ball, like in where he's our only offensive weapon? Like there are other guys there, but it's, there's not, I feel like the biggest thing right now, there's no trust in that locker room, right? It's like, there's plenty of receiver talent, receiver, tight ends, running backs, but Jaron isn't playing like he trusts anybody but Puka Nikola. The defense, nobody is playing at all. Like they trust the guy next to them to make their job. They're all out of the position, overthinking, playing flat-footed, waiting for everything to come to them because they, they're unsure of what to do. So they don't trust themselves and they don't trust the guy next to them to do their job. And that's the biggest yeah. issue. And maybe we see some improvement this week and maybe, you know, hopefully this is the week where like, you know, hopefully I, w- I want to see like somebody ripped the lockers off the wall because they went apeshit nuts in the pregame getting amped up and like come out and just like, you know, finally win one. The talent is there, yep. but will they have the attitude to put it together? Push come to shove. This is still the same group of dudes who are every bit as talented as the team that beat Utah last year, beat Arkansas, beat Arizona State last year, yep. you know, beat Arizona last year. And you know, ran, won 10 games last year. It's still the same dudes, but they need to believe that they can actually knock off Boise. And, in and Boise. I, think, I think you just nailed it on the head uh, of me watching ECU versus me watching Liberty. That was the difference. It did feel like the effort was different. It felt like the trust was different. The results were not that different, but the process felt different. And, and that makes me feel like, okay, we saw some improvements in the process last week. Have some additional improvements this week. After two weeks worth of improvements, I think we see some improvements in the results now as well. What does it say? First you lose big, then you lose a little, then you win little, then you win big. So we're we're at the win little part, and then we'll knock out, we'll destroy Utah Tech. So we're we're on track here for this four week progression. It has been a good episode. Uh, we will do our post game fireside probably on sunday night uh after we have had a chance to sleep on it the game is kicking off at five o'clock so it'll be a little late um but it will be a good time um for everybody like join us on the discord in our game thread jeff i pray to have heaven that the cookies give them hell on saturday give them hell